This episode of Bad Associations briefly mentions sexual assault and may be upsetting to some. If you're needing help, please call the National Hotline for Sexual Assault at 800-656-HOPE. Take care. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again. In today's episode, I'm going to be reading emails submitted by two anonymous listeners. But before I get started, I wanted to start off first by saying thank you. I'm so appreciative and thankful for you. DMs, Zooms, emails, it's been great. Of course, some of these emails, like the emails we'll be discussing today, have rough parts. But none of it is possible without you. The idea of starting this podcast came up in conversations with my younger sister. But even after talking to her, I still couldn't help this lingering feeling of, maybe it's just us. She is my sister after all. We grew up in the same home, raised by the same parents. Maybe it just happened to us. And of course, Reddit pages, YouTube videos, articles online, have provided a great deal of help for me. And as social media picks up more and more, it means more opportunities for people like us to realize we're not by ourselves. Maybe it's a preference of media, I don't know, but something about listening to people on a podcast makes it real for me. So having people like yourself reach out and be willing to be vulnerable and open and honest on this podcast helps myself, and I can only imagine helps everyone else listening. So to everyone listening and guest starring, thank you. All right, let's get into this email. When I was still a teenager, I got married to a young brother whose parents wanted us to get married. They wanted us to get married in the hopes that it would keep him out of trouble. It was so difficult because we weren't ready for marriage. I had tried to back out, but his parents convinced me everything would be fine. All my concerns would go away as soon as we were married. That did not happen. A few decades later, we figured it out and we're happy now. My husband was an elder for over a decade, and I regular pioneered for a while, but eventually had an absolute mental breakdown. When I had a shepherding visit from the brothers, they were actually very kind and empathetic. And one even said not to blame my child for the reason I wasn't able to pioneer anymore. I did think that was strange as I did find it too much to have a young child and I was working and pioneering and it was mostly me that did the work around the house. But I wasn't placing blame on my son. But I think an attitude in this organization is resentment towards our kids because they hold us back spiritually. So, despite a different elder not wanting me to stop pioneering and even trying to talk me out of it, I did stop. I was given the advice to do more personal study as if that was the problem. I was burnt out so badly and the advice still was to do more. If I did more, I would be happy. It's never enough, and it's always your fault. 
That's the lesson. They announced that I was no longer a pioneer. I hate the way they announce it. So-and-so was no longer pioneering. It's so humiliating. There's no need to announce it at all. Or they could just say, thanks for all your hard work. Hopefully this person has the circumstances to pioneer again in the future. Or something like that. A few years later, that 2018 Watchtower on child sexual assault came out. And my husband, who was the Watchtower conductor, started crying on the stage. What I didn't know was that he realized from this Watchtower that child sexual assault must be a huge problem in the organization for them to print that article. This was the start of his waking up. I knew something was different, but I didn't know he no longer thought it was the truth. Then, our daughter informed us she didn't believe it was the truth and no longer wanted to be a witness. I was freaking out, losing my mind. My husband humored me by trying to study with her every week, but then COVID hit, possibly the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. I had the time and mental energy to study more and try to find an explanation for things that had always nagged me a bit. I searched the online library for answers to my questions and got hung up on the same Watchtower article that started my husband's awakening process. That was the first time I learned of the two-witness rule, and I could not justify it. I also realized I had been told about it, but I didn't realize it. When I was a teenager, an elder in our congregation sexually assaulted me. Two or three years later, I was worried he would do it to someone else, and I worked up the courage to call an elder and tell him. He listened, and then a few days later, he called me back. He said he had talked to the elders, and since no one else was there to witness it, they couldn't do anything about it. After about six months of me doing research, which turned my small cracks of doubts into a large chasm, during a midweek Zoom meeting, I told my husband we needed to talk. We were both sitting there, listening to the meeting, and I thought, this is ridiculous. And I couldn't wait even till the end of the meeting. I had to have an honest conversation with him. We drove to a spot in the country partially so we could talk where our daughter wouldn't be able to hear us, and partially because we felt like we were doing something wrong. I asked him if he thought it was the truth, as I was beginning to suspect he didn't. He poured his heart out, explained at this point he wasn't even sure he believed in the Bible anymore because of things like, it was impossible for there to have been a global flood. I realized if it was the truth, and I was faithful to Jehovah, then I would be in paradise on my own, and I didn't want to be there without my family. I have little to no relationship with any of my extended family. My husband and my daughter are all I have. I also realized children getting baptized and then disfellowshipped for no longer believing was entrapment. 
and I just couldn't see the Bible character of Jesus condoning this. I honestly felt like I was having a heart attack and my hands were shaking the moment I decided to Google Jehovah's Witnesses. I came across the XJW subreddit and that led me to Crisis of Conscience, which was a wild read. It confirmed the governing body and higher-ups at Bethel are no better than the elders in every imperfect congregation, and there was no Holy Spirit magically directing anyone. Now, I'm addicted to XJW and can't get enough podcasts and videos. I'm obsessed, but I think it's helping me cope. I'm still physically in, mentally out, due to my work circumstances, but it's difficult to fake enthusiasm. Thanks again to that listener for the submission. I know it's hard reaching out and being so vulnerable when you have so much to lose because you're still there. But reading this listener's email brought so many things to mind that over the almost decade of being gone, I kind of forgot happened. When she reminded me of the public announcements, it brought me back to one of the times I was reproved and they made an announcement and I was mortified. The irony though is, how does that motivate me to wanna follow your stupid rules when all you care about is causing me discomfort? I've heard about the Crisis of Conscience book for years. I've never read it. I purchased it, it's on my Kindle, but it's a very regular mention in things like Reddit and YouTube and even the submissions to this podcast. I feel like I need to get around to reading that book. I also felt like her describing the aggressive consequence of children leaving the cult as entrapment, wow. What a powerful way to summarize that. Looking back on the time where I felt stuck, it was so imperative to keep hope alive and to keep your eyes open and to not feel just because you're stuck in this moment that there won't be one day an opportunity for you to get out. It takes strength. Sometimes it takes desperation. But ultimately, what you're feeling is not anything to be guilty of. I also hope for those that have suffered from child sexual assault or sexual assault in general and did not get the support, I hope you know you are believed. At this moment, you may feel silenced. You may even be in a congregation where you're watching your abuser pretend like it never happened. I am sorry that that's happening. All right. Let's dive into the second email. A little background on me. I was born in a Jehovah's Witness family. I'm the youngest of five children. My father was a district overseer. We were one of the quote, prominent Jehovah's Witness families. I was disfellowshipped at age 24. I had already left the organization and I was the first in my family to do so. But here's one of my stories. I was in kindergarten. I was six years old. It was a classmate's birthday. Her mom had brought in cupcakes, not just any cupcakes. These were the beautiful polka dot pink cupcakes, the most beautiful funfetti cupcakes I had ever seen. 
Well, despite my best efforts, I didn't ask to be excused from class during the birthday festivities. I stayed. I joined in. I ate the cupcake. It was fucking delicious. The guilt slowly started to erode all of the delight I had felt while enjoying my beautiful pink cupcake. The bus ride home was horrible. I felt sick inside. As soon as my feet hit the ground getting off of that bus, I burst into tears. My mother asked, what's wrong? And I confessed my sins of the day. She proceeded to strip me naked and beat me with a wooden spoon all over my body. I've never looked at a cupcake the same again. Thank you so much for sharing that story, and I look forward to talking to you again. When she emailed me and I read that story, it made me think of the first time I went to a birthday party. A few weeks after I left the cult, a co-worker invited me to her house for a birthday celebration. She'd invited me to many holiday parties and many birthday parties, and every time I told her no. After this invitation, I almost said once again, I couldn't. Come on, you know my stance on birthdays. Besides, it was a Saturday. My entire day was already full with field service plans. But this time, I said, sure, what time? The following weeks, months, years, to this very day, my brain questions if I have permission and approval to live my life in the way I feel is best. Am I allowed to get a tattoo? Another tattoo? Can I curse? Can I get another piercing? Can I show cleavage? How short is too short for this skirt? Can I accept this birthday gift? Can I have a relationship with a woman? Is it okay to marry this man? There's no rule that says, must be in this cult for 12 years before the damage takes hold. Trauma doesn't work like that, right? For me, my mother became a Jehovah's Witness officially when I was six months old. So all my formative years were in this cult. I'm sure they'd be happy to know that my brain is 100% wired in a way that questions my freedom. I am in a constant state of shame and guilt for the fact that doing these things don't make me feel shame and guilt. Since leaving, I am constantly questioning if I'm being gaslit, misled, or pressured by the people around me to do what they want me to do and not what I want to do myself. I recently got married and I'm extremely lucky to have found a life partner who understands that I always have to think about my own opinion before I can take his into account. Once I'm thoroughly sure I've made up my own mind, then I can discuss with him on his feelings and his goals and his concerns. I've never once been able to just come right in. He brings up an idea, I sit down, we chat like a normal married couple, make the decision as a unit and move on. I can't do that. 
I've tried it before with friends. I've tried it before with roommates. And the problem is, if I do that, a couple days later, I'll start to think back on the conversation and wonder if I really felt that way or did I only feel that way because the person sitting in front of me was stressing how important it was to them and how badly they wanted this thing to happen? Did I just agree and go along with it because it's what I've done through most of my life? Hopefully that makes sense to you guys. There are other lingering feelings that are completely obvious. It's been nine years, and of course, I miss my family, immediate and extended. I miss my childhood friends. I miss even being able to say I have childhood friends. Everyone else I know has friends that they've had since diapers. I don't have that anymore. I miss the older brothers and sisters in the congregation that were extra grandparents to me. And there's so much about the way I live my life now, how I keep a home, recipes that I make, my taste in movies, that stems from them. A lot of times, once those older generations passed away, I wouldn't find out for months and months through the grapevine of my small town. It now seems so, well, duh. But it turns out I was going to miss out on way more than I thought I would. And I'm glad 20-year-old me didn't know it would be this isolating and hard. I've missed out on not feeling like a criminal. Let me explain. I felt like a criminal because I was at my parents' house visiting my dying father. And she got a call that a car full of Jehovah's Witnesses were in the area and someone in the car needed to use the restroom. And they figured it wouldn't be a big deal for my parents if they swung by. What they didn't know was the disfellowship daughter was visiting, and now I had to put my parents in a compromising situation. I didn't realize I'd feel like I was crossing a line by calling my mother to let her know I was engaged. Engaged to a worldly guy. Don't get me wrong, she's met him. They met at my dad's funeral. She thinks he's great, but, well, you guys know. He's never going to be up to snuff because he's never going to bring me back to the truth the way she had always hoped someone would one day. Speaking of my dad's funeral, I should have been crying because I lost him. He's the only dad I've ever truly known and he was the parent I was the closest to and shared the most similarities with. And now he's gone. But instead, I cried because I was seeing people I loved so deeply, but had forgotten they existed. Because how could I live every day of my life constantly remembering all these people that don't have an active place in my life? I had to, for the most part, forget they existed. I can't constantly think about all the empty seats in my life. All because what? I don't believe what they do. Speaking of missing, throughout my whole life, I've missed out on so much. And now, although I'm free, I'm forever missing out on it. 
my first Christmas, I was 23 years old. The first of my own birthdays I celebrated, I was 26. I'll have to have my sister on to ask her about the exact dates, but my little sister left, I think, four or five years after I did. But it's not been until these last few months, nine years later, that we're actually having a healthy relationship. I missed out on having a healthy relationship with my sisters. Most find those healthy connections as children. Don't get me wrong, my life is wonderful. I have amazing friends. I have the most supportive husband. But my point in sharing this is, again, not to be negative, but just to be transparent. And to let you know that I get that the right choice is individualistic. So although there will be an undertone on every episode that leaving is the right choice, there are pros and cons to both decisions, staying or going. And everyone has to make an informed decision for themselves. Since the trailer was released for this podcast, I've talked to a lot of you who are physically in and mentally out, or physically in and mentally questioning. And I get listening to this podcast while you're still stuck in it. As I mentioned in the other episode, I did it too. I researched, I asked questions. I listened to YouTube videos that Jehovah's Witnesses aren't supposed to listen to. And in the end, I chose to leave. But I understand if you don't do what I did or what others you'll hear on this podcast did. There's a quote from a song I love where she says, healing and patience are lovers. So what I'd say to you is, Give yourself grace. Understand that it takes time to learn about the lack of truth in the truth. It takes even longer to decide whether staying or going is the best choice for you specifically. It took time for me to leave. It took time for me to heal and to cry and to grow and to fall on my face and get back up. It took time to eventually get here where I am where I finally feel free enough and healed enough that I hope to provide the time and the safe space for others. None of these things took overnight, and I'd be willing to bet no one we ever have on this podcast will say, I went into the cult, and within a week, I said, fuck this shit, and left without looking back, and I've had zero regrets. There's more to it, right? So much of our history and connection lies within the cult. That's how cults work. There are so many people out in the world that have said to me that they had no idea how widespread this specific cult is until they were talking to me. But if there's anything that you and I have learned from the yearbooks, Jehovah's Witnesses are global. And the longer you've been in the cult, the deeper your roots are with the people all over. Because of you visiting other congregations, the assemblies and conventions, being in ministry school, going to Bethel, doing unassigned territory work. I get it. You're not just leaving a cult that you think is wrong. You're leaving everyone you know 
When I left, I had no memories, no connections, nothing that didn't orbit around the main theme in my life. Okay, I don't want anything I just said to be confused into sounding as if I'm talking you into staying because I'm absolutely not. But for those who are still physically in, I don't want to set an expectation that leaving is easy or fast. I don't want you to hear certain stories that seem simple and think, ah, that's why I have to stay because I'm not going to have it as easy as this person did. This podcast will not be full of any one side of the experience. There will be abuse and there will be ease. There will be sadness and there will be freedom. Because unlike the dramas that we see at the convention or the short films that Bethel pushes at your face, leaving doesn't always end good or bad. The reality is it's all of it. Some things are black and white and super easy to see what is the right choice while other choices you'll need to make will be murky and super unique to your experience. But that's life. There's many things within the content of my character and the life I practice. And now, this podcast, that I want to be polar opposite of the Jehovah's Witness cult. We've already discussed that one is honesty. Another is that I'm not going to tell you what to do. There won't be consequences or shunning if you reach back out to me for a follow-up email and say, you've decided to go a different route than I took. I'm not judging you whether you stay or you go, because I know it's hard. It's all about inclusivity here. This is a soft, insane place for you to land. Give yourself permission to do what's best for you. Be kind to yourself. I'm Chev. I'm a bad association. Tell me about yourself.